Hello ninjas and ninjets and welcome to another episode of the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast. My name's Tim, I'm head ninja at Exposure Ninja, best-selling digital marketing author and I'm the host of the show. This show is all about helping you to generate more leads and sales on your website and in this episode I'm joined by Colin Gray of The Podcast Host. Now Colin is a podcast expert, yes, but I would class Colin as a real content marketing expert and that's what he's come onto the show to talk about today. He's built some ridiculous visibility for the podcast host. They're up to 100,000 sessions per month on their website and that is all organic stuff. So he's built some massive rankings and he's done it all through writing really good quality content, repurposing it into videos and in podcasts as well. So he takes us through the process that he uses to identify what's going to get traffic coming onto the site. And then he also takes us through the process of how he gets those posts ranking and how he gets the traffic and uses them in lots of different ways to build engagement. So super interesting guy. So sit back, enjoy the show with Colin Gray of The Podcast Host. Colin, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. So in this podcast, we go behind the scenes of a particular marketing channel, strategy or campaign that you've used to grow your business. The podcast host will find out what you did, how well it worked and what you learned. Ready to lift the curtain? Yeah, absolutely. Fight away. Awesome. So firstly, what is the podcast host and how do you guys make money? The podcast host is the business that I run today that really started out as a a kind of hobby blog back in 2008 or so. Um, I I was teaching how people how to podcast basically at a a university in Edinburgh. And I just I just kind of fell in love with the medium. I just loved how easy it was to create great content, engaging stuff to teach people, to entertain people. And I just, I just really enjoyed the medium of speaking to a microphone. It was just, uh, it just seemed so much more natural than, you know, speaking on a video or, or even just writing your words. You could get your personality across. And I just, I started writing about it, the things I was learning, uh, reviews of microphones, of how to present, that kind of stuff. And luckily for me, the website itself uh, started to take off back in um, about 2013, 14. And over a couple of years from there, it grew into the business basically that run today. Nowadays, we have uh, a, a website full of content, how to podcast, how to create a great podcast. And we have an academy where we teach people how to do it as well, uh, more in person and through courses. Uh, and we also have all of our content too. So in terms of the, the podcasts, of course, we're on our own podcast. So Really, that's the kind of the range of stuff we do these days. So in terms of a marketing funnel, you have the website and the podcast designed to bring people to the site um, and all that content that's on the site as well. And then the monetization plan, is that getting people into the academy? Is that your primary way of making money? Well, actually, it's one of a few. So we, we've got a pretty diverse income set of income streams, I suppose. The main one for us, actually, the way we started off was affiliate income. So that's what, uh, how the site started making money in the early days. It was through those reviews I was doing of equipment more than anything else. So microphones, mixers, uh, you know, recorders, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and I would tend to always refer to Amazon do an honest review, refer to Amazon to purchase. And that was where the income first started. And still these days, that's about probably uh, somewhere around 30 to 40% of our income is just through affiliate. 
we've diversified that out of just Amazon into stuff like hosting and tools and software and stuff like that. So, so affiliate is still a big thing what we do. The academy is the next part. So yeah, we encourage people who read our free content, if they don't buy something, get, get some affiliate income, we encourage them to sign up and join our membership. And that's where we teach them how to start their own show. And beyond that, we've got client work. So we do a fair bit of client production as well, where we work on one-off projects to create a great show or help people launch their show and then work with them ongoing. So that's kind of that's the three main ones. Um, and of course, we've got our app. We've got a software as a service app that we're releasing in a couple of weeks. And that's hopefully going to be a, a good new one, but that's uh, yet to be seen. <laughs> awesome. So really diverse income streams. And it's great to hear that affiliate is such a, a large part of your, of your income. Um, I guess common to all of those is the need to get traffic onto the website. I mean, that's that's fundamental, isn't it? I noticed that you've got some ridiculous ranking in, in SEMrush and a lot of visibility as well in the US, which is, which is awesome. And I imagine that really helps the affiliate income. So how do you guys get traffic to the website? What are your primary traffic channels? I mean, Google Organic is is the main one. It's uh, we've this. I'm lucky enough that I started this a long, quite a long time ago now, and it, it's one of those things where people ask, you know, what what were the tricks? How did you get all those rankings and stuff? And yet, you're right. We're again lucky enough that we rank really well for a few top podcasting terms, and that's what brings in a lot of our traffic. But really, it was it was just writing. Good articles in the early days, really focused around questions people were asking. Is I mean that that is there's no real trick to it these days. It's about talking to your audience. It's about knowing who it is that's out there that you appeal to. Asking them what are you struggling with just now? What is it that you? What's the barrier for you right now? What are the big pains for you? What are the questions you're asking? And then really just writing that question at the top of the page and then answering it. <laughs> just something that answers that question. That's really how I started out. And that's the, the articles that do the best for us just now are either answers directly to questions we are asked every single day, or they are reviews of equipment that we know is really popular with podcasters. So we know we're typing in the names of those bits of kit as well, or even just, you know, the general um, best of articles too. They do really well for us too. So best mixers, best mics, best recorders, that type of stuff. And one thing I would say, actually, I mean, it's easy enough to say that, but actually we we do well, I think, in that because we chose our niche and we stuck to it. So best mixers for podcasting. I, I wouldn't even try and compete for best mixers in general. We're, we're nowhere up on that. But best mixers for podcasting, suddenly that's our niche. And our site is really well focused on podcasting. And so Google obviously ranks us pretty well for any best something for podcasters. So that's really where it grew up. It's the, it's the organic traffic, making sure you're answering those questions and really listening out for those questions. I mean, I could go deeper into how we can source those questions if you're interested, but we get we get asked them every day. So I note down everything really. Yeah, well, I was going to ask because obviously getting asked them is is the easiest way to, to to find what they are. But I guess you still need to validate to check that this is going to be a common question, that there's enough search volume and that it's actually going to be interesting enough. So What's your process for identifying and validating these questions that you get? One of the most useful ones for us actually is we get a good bit of traffic through the site and every single person, one of our first calls to action is email list. So standard for a lot of people out there, you know, uh, sign up for our email list, we'll teach you how to podcast. The first thing that people get off that email list are two or three value emails, some quick wins type of stuff, try and get people engaged. But about three or four in, 
there's an email that comes out and just says, what are you struggling with? Is that question I said a minute ago? It's what are you struggling with? What question would you like to ask us? What do you think we can help you with? Just really simple one-line email, basically. And the questions we get back from that are brilliant. That is like, that is our full, that is almost like 90% of our source of, of content comes from that email. So we get, because that's going out to, you know, maybe a, a dozen, a few dozen people a day, we get maybe a surprising amount of response to that, maybe a quarter, 20 to 25% of people respond to that. And so we're getting, you know, we're getting a set of questions every single day. And it turns out it's always the same ones. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we get like 80, 90% of the people that reply to that, they, they're answering something, asking something that somebody's asked us before. So we, we validate it simply by seeing the frequency of these coming in. You see the same questions day in day in day out every now and again you get um, some new ones which is great because that's good content but really i think that's a great thing that people can do is set up some kind of way to survey your audience on a regular basis just asking them that thing what are you struggling with just now and you'll start to see the same things cropping up love that advice that's so simple as well so elegant but how do you find that balance between I want to answer this question because my audience has it and I want to target this big fat question. So for example, best mixers for podcasting is a fairly niche phrase. Best mixers is a fairly broad phrase. So how do you find that balance? How do you know how broad to go and how niche to go? We, I mean, you start as broad as you can. So you start, I mean, you can do the research obviously with uh, with a set of tools. So the Google keyword uh, research tool, I'm sure you've mentioned that before in your show, but it's it's a great place to start in terms of actually assessing that frequency. You've got a good idea that that question is common, but you go in there and you can see how many searches there are every month. So I would, uh, if I was starting out again, I would just start, you know, take a lot of those questions, go on the basic places like Quora, like um, Ask the Public, these websites that can, I can type in podcast or podcaster or podcasts, and it'll show me all of the questions that are commonly asked about those things. Go into Quora, type in podcast, I'll see all the questions people are asking about it. So even if you don't have much of an audience, like, you know, like I was saying, that email, uh, sort of email survey trick if you don't have that you can still use these sites to start sourcing the questions and then start putting those questions into the google keyword tool and then you can start sort sorting by you know frequency of of search and i would also always start with the high frequency ones obviously like you don't want to go in with the, the really niche ones but i would qualify that by saying that you know we do have uh, a lot of our traffic coming through you know the top five articles but a lot of the more engaged people on our website, actually, the people that would tend to buy our services, often they'll come through the much more long tail question, the less frequently searched ones. So we get a fair bit of our affiliate income through those commonly searched ones. But actually, the people that really engage with us are often the ones that find the less used articles. So I think there's definitely a balance. You want to hit the high frequency ones for that kind of broad search, but actually for the engagement, start answering the more specific niche questions and really spend a bit of time, in there, a bit of time on them as well. Great advice. It's not all about volume, is it? <laughs> no. I think it shows that you know your stuff as well when you start going into these more specific things, the more niche things. And somebody says, oh, I do that. nobody else I know is answering that question apart from this one person. So th- this is the person for me. This is the person that knows this, knows their stuff and they think the same way as I do. Exactly. In our seminars, I do a keyword research exercise where we look at the volume of a phrase like diamond rings and then the volume of a phrase like platinum, 
engagement ring, next day delivery UK. And you're like, well, okay, you might not be able to rank for diamond rings particularly quickly, but there might not be a huge amount of traffic around platinum diamond engagement ring, next day delivery. But that person is freaking qualified. If you're selling those rings, you want that visitor on your site. So there's always going to be a bit of a mixture, isn't there? Let's talk now about how you actually put the content together, because it's one thing to identify a question that people are asking. It's another thing to put together something that's so useful that actually ranks and picks up a good amount of traffic. So what's your advice for how in-depth we need to be and using things like rich media? I'm always uh, a long-form kind of guy. We do we do long posts on the podcast host. Like I kind of I know you a lot of people talk about five hundred to six hundred words being the kind of a good length, but we do fifteen hundred to two thousand minimum usually. But do you know what? It wasn't always that way. We so we've gone through stages, I think. Maybe this is this would work well for other people as well. But just to show our kind of personal approach, early days I was always quite long form, maybe once every week or two weeks. And that was what built our early traffic because it was hitting the most common questions and going really deep on them. And I think that's what made the site start to do well in the early days. But then at one point, about three years ago, I took on an assistant as well. So this helped with it, but we started doing daily. So I, I blog post every single day, answering all of the the less common, but still reasonably well asked questions. So that was us basically kind of covering the market, all of the different reasonably common questions and topics that are covered in podcasting. And they were shorter, they were kind of more just kind of get the question out there brief as possible, uh, maybe five, 600 words or so. But these days, at, since doing that, that was kind of us covering that, you know, that middle level set of content. It was the stuff that people are asking pretty often that's, that kind of gets them onto the site. And these days, we've started doing much more long form content and much less frequent again, because I feel like we've already covered the bulk of the stuff that people mm. have general. And so now actually I want to go deep on stuff, either find a long tail thing like you were mentioning there, find something that people can, um, that shows that people have real intent and go deep on that, or actually go back and take, and this is what we're often doing actually, is go back and take one of those shorter form ones, find the ones that are popular and actually go deep on them, make them even better. So take them from a five ranking article to a, a number one ranking article. And that's actually a big thing of what we're doing these days. And that's been helping our traffic a whole lot. It's just concentrating and getting from you know that number 10 slot up to the number one slot. So I think it changes a bit over time. Depends exactly what you're concentrating on at the time. But I think both do work. But I would definitely verge, I definitely sort of edge towards longer and deeper rather than the sort of uh, lots of shallow stuff. Although that's good for testing in the early days. Yeah, that's a really interesting approach. I've I've not um, I've not come across that too many times writing lots of smaller posts and I guess then backing the winner, looking for signs of life and then going really deep on those. I, I guess that makes a lot of sense rather than particularly if you're just starting, spending loads of time writing one or two posts, which may or may not be enough to, to, to help you succeed. They may or may not be the right type of traffic for you. So I think there's a lot of, uh, a lot of sense in that. I think there's something around them being referrals to the bigger articles too, in terms of even if you're only getting small traffic to some of those less well-ranking ones, less commonly searched ones. But uh, if you're blanketing your whole, you know, all of the questions within your niche, at least at a basic level to start with, then that starts to, like you say, that is a good way to test the test the, the entrance and like bet on the good ones. But it's also a good way to actually start funneling people towards your really deep stuff, which is then what really builds that engagement and that trust and, and helps them buy your products. 
One of the things I've already talking about is repurposing and finding different ways of using content. I noticed that a lot of your really in-depth posts and your product reviews have videos in as well. Could you maybe talk about your approach there? I mean, we're a podcasting company, but actually, you know, the bulk of our audience comes in through text. So the blog is actually, we get far more views on the blog than we do to the podcast. But that makes sense because that's actually how, you know, the general audience out there in the world is distributed. There's far more blog readers far more frequently than podcast listeners. But it means that when we create our blog posts, I kind of always want to make them rich because we can. <laughs> and <laughs> also, I believe, I believe there's a bit of a, a funnel in terms of engagement as well that works in the types of content you put out there. In that text is the kind of the wide part of the funnel. That's the top end of the funnel. It's the easy search method. It's the most common search method. It's an easy way for people to get into, to come in contact with you in the first place because they can find the blog post. They can skim it. They can go, huh, okay, I like that well enough. It, it seemed to make sense. But text, you know, like you need to be a really good writer to really engage somebody in text to incite emotion or something like that. So that's where media comes in. That's where I think you move to video next because video is kind of a high impact medium. It's like you don't get much attention. So people will only listen for maybe three, four, five minutes, but it's quite high impact. It looks really good. You get your personality across to get to know you a bit more. So that's kind of the next bit of the funnel for me. It's also, it's also high volume still. Like a lot of people watch videos on YouTube still. Maybe not quite as much as reading blogs, but still very high. But then the thin part of the funnel is the podcast. Because if you can get them to read the blog and then watch the video and then listen to a podcast based on that, that's when you get their attention. Because podcasts, you get people for a half an hour, for an hour, for two hours. Like some of the best podcasts out there are three hours long and they're one person talking for three hours in the case mm. of Dan Carlin, Hardcore History, for example. Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> How does he do that? How does he make people listen to history for three hours at a time with just one, guy, one voice on it is crazy. But it's because of the engagement he builds on that show somehow. Mm. It's just, it's because of his personality, the way he does it. His real, he couldn't do that in words, I bet. So that's the funnel that I see. That's why we try and do them all if we can. You catch them with the text and you really, you grow that trust and engagement where they really know you, they like you. It's like an intimate relationship almost by the time they listen to you for an hour on the podcast. So yeah, I mean, the way, if you want to know the sort of the general approach is that we tend to plan our content as a content idea. It's not meant as a blog, a podcast, or a video in the early days. You just think of a question I want to answer, a review we want to do, whatever it is. I write a bullet point list for that. And I'll often write out a first draft blog post first. And then what I'll do is I'll jump on the, the microphone, switch on my camera at the same time, and I'll film myself speaking this blog post. Speaking it to the camera, into the microphone, just after writing a draft, it makes it really easy because you've just kind of rehearsed it almost by writing it. It's funny. It just makes it quite engaging, quite natural because you, you kind of know the subject quite well then. And often from there, I'll go back and I'll then do a second edit on the blog post because for some reason, when I start speaking things out loud, and I think it's the same with a lot of people, you kind of reframe it almost. You like You think it through by speaking it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So often going back and doing that second draft, I'll make some edits and it'll be better. It'll be a better blog post based on that. But I can do that all far quicker. Well, sorry, to just complete that, at the end of the day there, I've got what I think of as a really good blog post and I've got a video, which is the whole bit of content. And what we do is we take that video and we rip the audio off there. That becomes a podcast. 
we'll take the video and we'll take highlights out of that video. I'll never really release or often release the whole video because I, I think that would end up like a 20, 30 minute video maybe. Maybe not that long, but whatever it is, even if it's 10 minutes, it's still on the long end. What I'll do is I'll take out like two or three minute clips from the video and use them as highlights on YouTube. They'll link to the blog post, to the podcast. The podcast will link to both the video and the blog post. They all kind of interlink and mesh together but leveraging the strength of those particular mediums. So the podcast is the long form, the video is the short form, and the blog is the kind of search fodder and skim material, the revision material. And you end up, I can record all three, I can do all three of those together for one content idea so much quicker than I could write a blog post and then go and record a separate podcast and then go and record a separate video. It's just it's much more smart, I think, to do it that, or it works really well for me, I should say. Um, but I've seen it work really well for others too. So yeah, that's how we go about it. Hey guys, it's Tim here. If you're enjoying the advice on how to build blog posts that rank, then I'd encourage you to check out our best-selling SEO book, How to Get to the Top of Google. This book takes you step-by-step through a process that you can use to identify what sort of content you need to be writing and also takes you through the process of writing and getting it ranked by doing things like getting links to it and the keyword research and internal linking stuff that you need to build as much authority on that page as you possibly can. So search on Amazon or Audible for how to get to the top of Google and I hope you enjoy it. I love that because each of the forms, they kind of justify their existence, don't they? Because it's not exactly the same thing three ways. You have, you've kind of tuned them for the media. Like you've got YouTube, which people tend to flick around a lot and longer form videos don't tend to get as much engagement as shorter ones. But whereas podcasts, people are much more happy to just stick that on and go to the gym or whatever. And they're much less likely to, they're much less inclined to kind of flick around and switch between different shows, aren't they? So each of those is kind of justifying its existence. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. I mean, yeah, it's got to be smart repurposing. You can't just kind of copy and paste from one to the other, I think. And actually, do you know, a nice thing that we do that has worked well for, for me in the past is the blog post will maybe be, you know, say it's, say it's a thousand words and that would only take me, you know, somewhere between five and 10 minutes to read out. But what makes the podcast a bit longer is that I often will tell a couple of stories on the podcast as well related to that. So you might not put that in the blog post because it might make it a bit too long, but you've got the theory and the kind of uh, the theory and how to do it in the blog post. The podcast will talk about that, but it'll also tell a couple of stories, putting it in context. Like here's where this has worked for us in the past. Here's where somebody else has used this in the past and it works. Because podcast and audio is a really narrative uh, medium. It's really great for storytelling. So that can be something that can really leverage that power of the, the audio, just like you say, like really play into the powers that it has and maybe extend out to a really good, useful 15 to 20 minutes um, just to make that, really take advantage of that kind of long form uh, a medium. I want to ask you about promoting and publishing content on other people's websites and, and doing outreach and that type of stuff. How do you leverage other people's sites to get your message in front of your audience? Something we don't do enough, actually. I always think <laughs> nobody <it>. does. <laughs> we, I think it still works really well. I think the the whole thing around guest posting these days it's less about link building, isn't it, and more about visibility, authority building, networking, that type of stuff. I mean, we've I've published some a fair few posts. I still do a bit of guest posting, and we get 
a fair bit of traffic long term from some of them. For example, um, Darren Rouse, pro, pro blogger. I had the pleasure of meeting him a couple of years ago when I presented at the pro, pro blogger. And I can never say that right. Pro blogger event. Uh, and then did a few guest posts as a follow up. And that was, uh, that was a really good partnership. Still do every now and again, I'll just put a guest post on there. And again, that's we've already got a link from them. So it's not about link building, but every time we put something on there, whether it's me or Matthew or anybody else in the team, we get a, a, a really good set of you know referrals from there. And again, it's people that they're coming through to read, but they, they seem to be that kind of second level of engagement. It's not just first read. Not just that kind of first skim where they're like, oh, it's all right. And then they go away. They come and they, because it was a referral from a site that they trust to another site, the, the trust level is already quite high. So they actually have a much better chance of converting into members of what we do or buying something based on us to give us affiliate income. So I think the guest posting, it brings you traffic. Often the numbers don't look huge these days, unless you're lucky enough to get a huge site, but it does create a higher level of traffic for me. So it's still definitely worth it. And how do you identify guest posting opportunities? I gather that you're not doing a huge amount now, but it looks like at some point you've picked up a lot of links from somewhere. So when it was a priority, how did you pick out the sites that you wanted to get featured on? You know what? It was it was more often not through events, like I mentioned, the blogger site or going to uh, going to conferences related. It, I think it always has to be pretty relevant in terms of topic. Like, there's no point in doing a, a guest post from a car website to our podcasting website because it doesn't really. I mean, the link building juice is even lower there because it's not relevant, and also the relevancy of the audience is pointless too. So, I mean, I think what. And what we used to do mostly was to try and find industries where we could, it was relatively close. So maybe marketing for us or content in general, or, or even, you know, there, there are other industries, but the site might still be relatively relevant topic as in it's a, so I mentioned car, a car website there, but if it was an actually a car podcast, for example, maybe we could do a little article for them saying, do you know, if you enjoy this podcast, if you want to start your own, then here's how to do it. Uh, so it was finding those little links in terms of relevancy and also um, people that we know and trust as well. Because I think that uh, you can search around and find all sorts of sites that you think might be all right and might be useful, but it, it saves you. So, <laughs> they're so, it's so hard to get a guest post often because we all get anyone that runs a site gets so much spam these days that actually increasing your chances through at least a reference or having met this person at a conference is so much more useful. For sure. Yeah, it's a constant bane of all our clients' lives is the requests for guest posting. <laughs> but then we're guilty of sending out those requests as well. So, um, I, I want to ask you about some successes and failures. So are there any examples of marketing channels or techniques that you've tried which you thought were going to be super amazing, guaranteed home run, but ended up being a complete waste of time? I have never, ever, ever made social media advertising work for me. And I don't know why that is. I, I have tried it. I've done all the best practices, uh, Facebook in particular, Facebook ads, just, oh, I always end up like setting it up, getting barely any conversions, somehow forgetting that it's on for a week and spend <laughs> hundred quid uh, and getting like three conversions of a £20 membership or something like that. Uh, it's terrible. I don't know. I'm not sure why it doesn't really resonate with our audience, but and maybe I'm just doing it badly, but to be honest, yeah, that that's something that's never worked well for us. Uh, and I believe there's probably areas where that type of advertising works better than others. So I think just ours is one that's not great. Yeah, it's definitely a 
it has its areas of um, specialization for sure. Like we've got a lot of e-commerce clients where you wouldn't really run any other paid ads other than Facebook and it works really well. But like you say, there's a whole lot of businesses out there that think I should be able to use Facebook ads to kill it. And whatever they do, they just can't get it working. So it's quite, it's quite a common story. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I'm sure it's something I could get help with and do it a lot better, but I haven't even had such a even a even a hint of success with it. <laughs> it doesn't encourage me to go and pay somebody to show me how it works. No, exactly. Conversely, is there anything that you've done which you thought, okay, I'm just going to take an absolute punt on this. I don't think it's going to work, but it's ended up being completely amazing for you. Do you know what? Probably the best example of that actually is I'm definitely not an outgoing guy by nature. I've learned how to how to speak to people, how to get on the microphone. I've learned that confidence of presenting over quite a lot of years. And the very first time I ever spoke in front of an audience about podcasting, I was that was an utter punt because that was back in 2014. It was the UK pod event run by uh, Mike and Isabella Russell. Great people, good friends with them nowadays. But that was like. I'm not sure I want to do this at all. It's 100 people. It will terrify me. I've never done anything like this before. But do you know what? The reason I did it is because the event cost a bit of money. And at the time, that was just before I'd really kind of started to take it that seriously. It was still a, somewhat of a hobby back then. So I was like, well, if I speak, I'll get a free ticket. <laughs> Give it a go. And, uh, and I went along and I did a talk. And it went well, went really well. To my surprise, uh, and afterwards, so many people come up to speak to me, and suddenly, because podcasting was still quite young, because even it was the year that podcast movement started too, so it was like it was before really the big podcasting event, and suddenly, that just standing up in front of people, it's weird the effect it has on folk. It turns into a pro immediately in their eyes. Um, suddenly, I got asked on a whole bunch of other stuff, got asked on podcasts. That led to a few guest posting opportunities. It gave me the confidence to apply for other events. It led to things like that, um, going to Australia to ProBlogger, to America, San Diego, to New York for all these other events and stuff like that and speaking at lots of different things. So that was a total punt back in 2013-14, but that has led to a lot of stuff. And in fact, something that I enjoy a lot nowadays as well. I love I love getting up and speaking on a, a stage these days, even though it terrifies me every single time still, but at least it's a, a good tenor. <laughs> I completely understand. I remember my first uh, my first all-day seminars, again, like you, I was absolutely terrified of the idea, but my little technique for things that are scary is it's quite it's actually quite easy to just reply and say, yes, I'll do it. And then future you can figure out the problem of actually doing it and all that fear stuff. Quite easy to just say yes in it and just go for it. Pass the responsibility down the road, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Awesome. We've got some uh, quick fire questions to finish. I've got three of them. I think I know the answer of one of them but already. But if you could pick only one marketing channel, what would it be? Well, podcasting, yes. <laughs> podcasting, of course. Even though it's not been as good for you for picking up new fans and new listeners as maybe content marketing? Okay, so I'll just, I, well, that, my funnel hopefully justifies that because we <laughs> our new our new fans and our new listeners through maybe text first, but they only turn into fans by listening to our podcast. That's the right. thing. They, they find us through the text, but they become fans of what we do because they end up listening to the podcast and that's what engages them with us. Got it. All right, I'll give you that. <laughs> if you had to absolutely 10x the podcast host in the next year, but you had unlimited marketing budget to do it. What's the first thing that comes to mind that you'd start with? I would start to take on some more staff because I've seen the way that I can kind of 
help people make good content and and the kind of the it's, it sounds like an obvious answer but like more people equals more content but that doesn't automatically translate but i think i've figured out and the rest of my team so matthew here as well we've figured out how to find the right stuff to write about to answer that's the one thing that's one of the biggest things that we've discovered over the last five years so i think i can translate people into good content results. So I think that would be that be a big one put into staff. But also actually, do you know what, going back to the events as well, I would go to more events. I would go to just about everything I could and just talk about what we do, just have conversations and meet people. And because it's not it's not even only just getting in front of people at those events. It's the people that you meet that refer you to other people that they know that it's kind of a trite thing these days. But you know, your network is your that phrase your network's your net worth or whatever but in a less kind of a mercenary a cheesy way the people you know are make a huge difference to say what opportunities come your way and if i could get out there and meet more and more people and could afford to you know just be traveling around to events every week then i would that's what i'd put a lot of money into super interesting how many digital marketing experts actually say something offline there <laughs> like networking yes, absolutely Final question. If you could go back and give yourself one piece of advice on day one of starting the podcast host, what would it be? Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna do that again. Actually, it's it's the it's the offline. It's get in touch with people, talk to people, stop hiding behind the screen. Um seriously, I've used I've I've given that advice to many people in the past. And I don't just mean events, I mean actually just getting on the phone and speaking to people. And I I get my so my staff these days often they'll come to me with a problem, which the answer is get on the phone and speak to them. Stop sending them emails, stop communicating on Slack or whatever. It's get on the phone, spend 10 minutes just speaking to this person on the phone and you will fix it and you will probably come out with a really good relationship with that person afterwards as well. Whether it's a customer, whether it's you know a client, whether it's a partner, whatever it is. I th- I th- who is it again? It's, I think it's Tim Ferriss, isn't it, that says your success in life is almost directly correlated to the amount of uncomfortable conversations you're willing to have. And I think those conversations need to be in voice, <laughs> not in person. So, and I was bad for that. I avoided that a lot when I was younger, thinking that, well, this is all digital. I can do this all from behind my screen. It's all email. It's all, you know, but no, it's, it needs to be voice or in person even better. Well said, well said. Colin, this has been super interesting. Thank you so much for taking us behind the scenes of the podcast host. Where can people find out more about you and uh, your various different websites and academy and all of this you can find uh, the podcast host website over at thepodcasthost.com but actually the thing we're most excited about right now is our new podcast app alitu so a-l-i-t-u.com so if you think about starting a show and you want to make it really easy to, to produce it we basically automate the whole process so pop over to alitu a-l-i-t-u.com and uh, check it out That sounds awesome. I wish you'd invented that two years ago when we started this show. (laughs) I'll go back in time and do it, don't worry. (laughs) Colin, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. 